Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Midgley, Caputi, Adams, Stewart, Wolfe and Hagen Gruber. Let's get radical about philosophy. So glad you've tuned in to Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. Today on the program, I'm going to be speaking with Professor Elaine Stratford. Yes, about Francis Levy. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, could you give us a little bit of background information about yourself? Yes, yeah, sure. And I'll try and do this in a soundbite. Um, so currently I am a professor of cultural and political geographer, uh, geography at the University of Tasmania, in, uh, and I live in Hobart in Tasmania. Um, and I've been at the university for 20 years. Um, I'm also at the moment head of the School of Technology, Environments and Design, which is a really interesting group of schools covering architecture and design, information and communication technologies, and geography, planning and spatial sciences. Um, and for the last, oh, oh gosh, 25 years and more, um, I've been really interested in the question, how do we flourish in place and as we move um, over the life course? Um, so that's a, a little soundbite about me. I'm happy to elaborate if you'd like, Beth. Yeah, that, that sounds very interesting. Do you want to elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, one of the beautiful things about the discipline of geography, um, like philosophy, is the fact that it's an ancient discipline. And um, it, I call it one of the root stock disciplines. So there are lots of other disciplines that, that have come out of the uh, thinking about space and place and regions, landscapes, environments, and the relationship that people have to all of those things. Um, the ancient Greeks, the, the Roman philosophers, the Enlightenment philosophers, modern philosophers are deeply intrigued by the way in which we live our lives over time in spaces and places, how we change environments, um, how we respond to landscapes, why regions matter as much as, as nation states, um, how we end up in cities. So it's not just, you know, the, the kind of glib question, well, hey, where's the Ganges? Although we are interested in maps and mapping. Um, geography is an incredibly powerful discipline because like philosophy, it invites us to think in synthetic ways, you know, synthesizing across different um, parts of the life world. And, and I love it. I'm passionate about it. Yeah, well, that sounds very interesting. Uh, what was it that inspired you to study Francis Levy? Oh, yeah, thank you. That's a lovely question. Um, look, I have been interested in um, 
the home, the feminine and nature for a long time. I did my PhD a long time ago on that subject. Um, and um, part of my focus was on the period between about the 1780s and the early 1900s. And then um, part of my focus has been on the, the late 20th and century and the early 21st century and the rise of green consumerism. And I chose those two periods because women have been implicated in um, the home. Uh, women have been implicated in the way in which we treat nature in very different ways in those two periods but also in ways that are sometimes quite similar. So the rise of the feminist movement between the 1780s and say the early 1900s, um, you know, created a whole set of problems and, and interesting um, challenges for women as they negotiated their importance in the home, um, tried to figure out how to, question the fact that they were being seen as closer to nature and therefore somehow as lesser but also ennobled as the natural keepers of the home that the um the the logical natural keepers of children and and you know the caregivers of of everything the caregivers of the world and that kind of raised its head again in different ways through the 20th century. But I was really interested in how it then raised its head um, in the late 20th century in relation to green consumerism. So all of a sudden, you know, we were becoming saviors of not just the home or not just neighborhoods through things like home economics and the health movement in the 19th century, but also how we, were all of a sudden being made responsible for taking care of planet Earth, you know, Mother Nature. So I've been really interested in the philosophical discourses that bring the feminine, the home and nature together geopolitically, um, particularly through colony and empire. And that's how I discovered Francis Levy um, in my research in the archives uh, on Australia. Could you tell us a little bit about Frances Levy's early life? Yeah, sure. Look, this is a delightful, um, interesting woman. Um, she was born on the 14th of November in 1831 in Penrith in New South Wales, the Blue Mountains. And um, her father and her mother had migrated from London as free settlers and they had several children. Um, Francis was the fourth. Her father, Barnett Levi, um, was a watchmaker. Um, and he died in 1837. And his widow, whose name was Sarah, um, uh, became impoverished, uh, which, of course, was the fate of so many women because of our structural dependency upon um, on, on men. Um, nevertheless, she stayed in regional New South Wales and um, home educated her children and worked really hard to, to keep the family together. Um, there is a sense now, th th there's uh, some interesting write-up about, about Levy uh, by 
uh, one of the historians of the Australian Dictionary of Biography online, whose name is Jennifer McCulloch. And Jennifer McCulloch suggests that the Levi family converted to Christianity um, from, from Jewry in, in Penrith. But actually, uh, I wrote a piece in the conversation on Francis Levy, and um, I got a comment back from someone uh, who I think must be a, a historian of, of uh, Jewish communities in, in Australia. And that person suggested that Francis's maternal grandparents were London Jews who opted to be baptized into the Christian faith there in 1814, who were active in the ministry to convert Jews to Christianity. And that person also suggested to me that the Levies, as they then became, worked and mixed socially with Jews in Sydney in the early years of the colony, which assumes that the grandparents also migrated although Jennifer McCulloch doesn't write about that. But either way, Beth, you know, I think the point is that um, Levy came from a, 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 a progressive and interesting, adventurous family. Um, and, um, uh, you know, and I, I think that's a, a lovely story to tell in and of itself. What were the bands of mercy? Ah, yes. Now, that's very interesting. So, Francis um, grew up, as I say, in this, in this interesting, struggling uh, family with a desire for education. And um, when she was in her early 20s, she moved to Sydney with her sister, Emma, uh, who was at that point married and then became widowed. And Frances, by the way, never married, never had children. And she um, set up these Bands of Mercy with her sister, Emma. And they're based on organizations that started in Britain um, that were called the Bands of Hope. And these Bands of Hope had formed in the UK, um, interestingly enough, to support the temperance movement, the, the, the anti-alcohol movement. Um, now, this is really interesting for me because one of the reasons that women were so active in the temperance movement was because alcoholism was rife. Um, and part of it was the way in which alcohol was adulterated. So beer was laced with strychnine, gin um, was adulterated, and people in the working classes um, the inebriation that they suffered from was often partly the result of low level of poison. Um, but it rendered them often very violent and often extremely ill. And, and women were at the blunt end of that, ironically, in many ways, they still are in terms of domestic violence. And so the Bands of Mercy were, were modelled on these Bands of Hope, which were focused on temperance. But, and like the Bands of Hope in the UK, they were based on volunte volunteerism. So they were voluntary organisations in communities. And they were founded in 1875 in the UK to help children and families understand that it wasn't okay to be cruel to animals in the same way that the temperance movement was saying it's not okay to be cruel to be people just because you're drunk the bands of mercy were saying it's not okay to be cruel to animals um, 
because you think they're dumb creatures here for our service. So they were suggesting, the Bands of Mercy people were saying that, that um, uh, and in fact, the pledge that Francis wrote was this, and I've got a quote here for you. I pr promise to protect all animals from ill treatment with all my power. When I am compelled to take the life of any creature, I will spare all needless pain. And so she founded this organization with her sister um, in the mid-1880s. And she introduced the Bands of Mercy to Australia. They started with 15 people in their parlor. Um, and they ended up with over 20,000 members over her lifetime. And it, the focus was mostly on domestic animals, um, particularly horses and livestock, um, dogs and cats. But she was also really ardently interested in protecting um, the lives of wild animals that were killed and captured for captured and killed um, for fashion um, or for display. She was ardently against the practices of cockfighting, bull baiting, dog fighting. Um, and she wasn't particularly persuaded about the worth of things like menageries and circuses. Now, I know she wasn't a vegetarian, but I am pretty sure from some of the hints in her writing that she was against vivisection, so the use of animals for scientific experimentation. So that's how that all started. And it's, again, another part, fascinating part of her life, I think. It would have been quite difficult to present those ideas back in those days as well. So um, now Francis really had a, a lifelong dedication to the humane movement. Where do you mm. think got her motivation from? Yeah, that's a lovely and complex question and I could wax lyrical about it for, for, for a long time. I'll, I'll try and sort of think through it crisply. Um, you must, I think, remember that, you know, debates about human beings' relationship to the world, to the non-human world or the more-than-human world, as we now like to think of it, you know, those are ancient debates, really ancient debates. But at the time that Francis was alive, um, we had had uh, all sorts of philosophical treatises about human rights, about animal rights, about the rights of women, about the rights of people who were enslaved, about convict rights. So the whole of the 19th century is this, for, for, for me as a scholar, it's kind of a delicious paradox of some of the worst, most appalling cruelties we can imagine. Um, juxtaposed against some of the most amazing feats of care and consideration. And, and this is a little wonder that we ended up calling parts of the 19th century and early 20th century the progressive era, because there was this sense of optimism that motivated people like Frances Levy. And, and she was motivated by philosophical debates about what was right and wrong. She was motivated by moral and religious debates about what was Christian and unchristian. And those were actually really typical of the era, in fact, I think, Beth. Um, 
and and that was evident in a range of reform movements related to the abolition of slavery, um, the end of the transportation of convicts, the rights of workers, uh, the vote for women, uh, the end of child labor, and so on. And and the urge to consider the, all of those human rights started to spill over into concerns about the more than human world. First about animals and then about the, the, the um, plants. So there was a big debate in the 18, from the 1860s about the rights of trees. And so, yeah, very intriguing. And Francis was deeply motivated by those debates and particularly, I think, by by a progressive Christian motivation. Suggested that Florence's greatest capability was for writing. Yeah, yeah. Now this is really fascinating um, for me. Um, th there's this kind of I could be glib and say that the pen is mightier than the sword. Um, and lots of women, part of the reason I write about Levy is because I was really interested to know how women were engaging with the, the popular press. Because from the 1660s, accelerating almost exponentially through the 19th century into the 20th century, we had the rise of the press and newspapers and the syndication of newspapers once the telegraph uh, arrived. And um, we had the rise of women's magazines and, and women's magazines across the political spectrum. There were women uh, like, like uh, the woman who ran Goddy's la Ladies Book, whose name escapes me for a moment, um, who were absolutely conservative in their views and women's place was in the home. And then there were really radical other people like um, Lucy Stone in the United States who were radical feminists uh, in the, at the mid-century. And, and so women used writing and particularly newspaper writing and, and periodical magazine writing as an avenue through which to campaign. And Levy was really adept at it. So she created um, a, a journal called the Band of Mercy and Humane Journal. Um, and that journal um, was published, it was oriented towards children. Um, and it was published for um, a number of years. And in fact, it was so well known that is in 1888, a group of women who ran the Boston, as in Boston, United States journal, um, the women's journal, were writing about Levy and New South Wales, the RSPCA and the Bands of Mercy. Um, and again, in 1906, were writing about her, reflecting on the fact that by that point, she had formed 400 bands of mercy, and they mentioned a membership of over 50,000 students, describing her journal as having um, the distinction of being the first newspaper of its kind in Australia to focus on um, animal rights or animal well-being, um, and the role of children and families in protecting animals. 
did Francis go about educating people in the treatment of animals? Yeah, great question. Thanks. So um, as well as writing, um, and she wrote for, for this journal that she founded, the Band of Messy and Humane Journals, um, she also wrote to the newspapers, uh, Sydney Morning Herald, for example. Um, but she also created um, a curriculum. And um, it, the curriculum was, was really was really interesting. So she, um, she would go into schools and she would spend time in classrooms with kids. Um, and I tell you what, some of the questions that she was asking them were really tough. So she was focused particularly in the Sydney public schools um, and she would give lessons on animal protection. Um, she would introduce children, teachers and families to the Bands of Mercy. Um, she would award prizes for essays that were written by the students. And um, there was an article in the Sydney Morning Herald um, that was uh, written about her. Um, that, and if you don't mind, I'll just give it a quote. She says, the children sit listening to their new teacher, who's Frances Levy. She does not come to impart any of the ologies she comes to tell them about the duties of man or people to the lower animals. And it's really interesting that we use those terms, isn't it? The lower animals who are not separated from us by any absolute gulf. Um, uh, but she comes to tell us about our undeveloped younger brothers and sisters who are below us in degree in development in education, but not below us absolutely in kind, which is a really interesting philosophical idea. And then the article goes on to describe some of the questions that the boys and girls are asked to write about for this essay prize that she gives. So, you know, things like state the influence of cruelty to animals on the human character. Are animals responsive to a gentle treatment? I mean, these are kids who are like grades three and four. Or, or try this one on for size. Um, describe the most humane method of transit of stock by rail and give reasons. <laughs> you know, these are boys in grade five and six. Or um, another one, and this will be the last one I give you. Does civilization in any way depend on possession of animals? Give reasons. State requirements. You know, and these are kids in grade five and six. So really interesting questions. And they're all philosophical questions, which I think is particularly interesting. So she unveiled her way into classrooms, into homes, into people's reading material and spread herself out to influence a generation of people. Quite incredible. No, they're absolutely brilliant questions. Uh, now, Are they good? Aren't they? Aren't they fantastic? Look, do you think, do you think that Frances could have been described as a feminist? Oh, that's such an interesting question, isn't it? Um, uh, would I, would I like to think so? Uh, yes, <laughs> but that could be showing my natural bias, couldn't it? Um, yes, was she a feminist? 
Yeah. Look, I think I would have to say on balance, yes. But I think that the word feminist means very different things at very different periods of time. Was she in favour of human rights? Absolutely. Was she in favour of the rights of all living and sentient beings? Absolutely. Is it, is it interesting that she opted not to marry and have children? I think so, because often when women did, in fact, always when women married and had children, until the Marriage Reform Acts of the 1880s and 1890s, they became the legal property of their husbands. Um, and uh, the marriage vows include the word obey, and it wasn't just a flowery kind of declaration. It was a legal, substantively legal requirement. Um, and I think a, a lot of women who were independent thinkers um, opted not to take the risk. Um, and so my sense is that she was indeed an advocate of rights, but I think feminism meant different things then than it might have done in subsequent decades. Right. I mean, it's, um, it would have been very difficult to come out as a feminist back then, but it would have been um, almost impossible to, to come out as a lesbian. So there's probably so many lesbians in history that because of society uh, couldn't couldn't leave their their true identity, couldn't mark their true identity in any way. So what do you think Francis's yeah. greatest legacy was? Yeah, look, that's a lovely question. Thank you. Um, and interestingly enough, um, one of the people who was her staunchest advocates um, through her, and I'm going to say working life, um, was um, Joseph Carruthers, Sir Joseph Carruthers. Um, and he was um, at one stage the um, New South Wales Minister for Education. And um, when she died in 1924, um, he actually wrote to the Daily Telegraph in Sydney. And it's a lovely letter. He said, Sir, most, and it's quite short, Sir, most cordially I commend the appeal of the president of the RSPCA for a fund to perpetuate the noble work of the late Miss Frances Levy. So the president of the RSPCA had suggested they have a perpetual fund in her honour. And Carruthers was saying, look, I think this is a terrific idea. And then he goes on to say, I knew her for nearly 50 years. And as Minister for Education between 1888 and 1891, I was associated with her endeavours to educate our young people to love and care for dumb animals. And of course, they don't mean the word dumb in a disparaging way, it's just a turn of phrase at that point in time. But it is, I think, telling philosophically. Um, and he goes on, she gave most of her time and means to that work with splendid results. And I quite agree that the proposed memorial should take the form of annual prizes for children's essays on humane themes. Yours, etc. J.H. Carruthers, December 8. And you know, this accolade 
you know, Beth, I really think this accolade is deserving. She started with a band of mercy of 15 people. By the time those community organizations had run their course, and they did, they, they ended, there were over 400 of them, uh, over 50,000 members. She'd given over 3,000 prizes and certificates to students writing about animal protection or humane treatment more generally. And, and in herself, in 1906, she was reflecting back in an article, again, in the Sydney Morning Herald, she was reflecting back on her legacy when, when asked by the reporter. And she was saying, you know, we used to see sore-backed, lame, maltreated, miserable, half-starved horses on our streets. We don't see them anymore because we were able to... Uh, with the work of the traffic police and the RSPCA influenced the treatment of horses. And if I've done nothing else, she sort of was saying, if I've done nothing else, that's a really good thing to have done. So it wasn't just rhetorical through writing and it wasn't just educational, it was material. She actually affected how people treated their animals. And I think that's a legacy worth celebrating. Definitely is. Is there anything else you'd like to add that we haven't already mentioned about about Frances herself? Um, look, I just think that one of the things we have to consider is, is that you know in Australia alone, um, and these are the the only stats I can get, but in 2017, 2018, the RSPCA received over 132,000 animals. It investigated over 50,000 incidents of alleged cruelty to animals. So it hasn't gone away um, in the same way that the sorts of violences that are caused by alcohol abuse haven't gone away. Um, and although Levy did the very best that she could, some of this is structural. And we need to think about how we manage structural change. Um, so that people have a much stronger sense of um, what it means to be kind, what it means to be kind in action every day. And the fact that it's not, it's not a characteristic, it's actually a verb. We have to do kindness. We can't just be kind. I know be is a verb as well, but we, you have to do kindness. You can't just be kind. I don't know if that makes sense, but I hope it does. Yes, and I, and I think too, it's it's not just enough uh, to to stand by when you see any animals being abused. I mean, you know, as just recently with the with the um, situation in the United States where you know a man man was killed and people stood there and did nothing it's not good enough to see or know of any animal being abused it's everybody's duty to get involved do something and not just stand by and I think that's what you were saying about you know doing not just you know saying and it's tricky because, of course, you know, sometimes that involves putting oneself in the line of fire. Um, I have never had to make that choice. Um, and I'm honest enough, I hope to say, I don't know how I would respond. 
Um, but my my two grown sons are constantly telling me to, you know, just just keep your pull your head in, pull your head in. You know, if I see something that I think is not, you know, not right, <laughs> they'll say, pull your head in. Just think about it before you throw yourself in the line of fire. But uh, yeah, well, that, that's yeah. a good point as well. But yeah, I think just yeah. having that awareness. Well, it's been really good speaking to you today. Thank, thank you so much for coming onto the program. And thank you for thinking of me. I really appreciate it. It's lovely to know that um, the work might be of interest to, to people. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. And I've been speaking with Professor Elaine Stratford about Francis Levy. Hope you've enjoyed the program and do stay tuned for Swing and Sway.